Our enemies are our enemies until they're not. The United States gets revenge on a terrorist leader, but it's not like the kind of revenge we see in the movies. I'm Scott Ott with Bill Whittle and Stephen Green. This episode of Right Angle is brought to you by the members at BillWhittle.com. You can become one of those members when you tap on the big green button that says become a member at BillWhittle.com. Gentlemen, uh, the part that fascinated me about this weekend's breaking story of the drone strike against um, Ayman al-Zawahiri, the uh, number two, former number two in command of al-Qaeda when Osama bin Laden was number one, and the key planner behind the 9-11 terror attacks on United States soil, as well as a number of other attacks that killed thousands of people, injured thousands more. The thing that struck me about the story was the care with which the U.S. government forces undertook this mission. In fact, Stephen Green, it might be said that the reason why it took us 21 years to get around to actually hitting Ayman al-Zawahiri effectively was that very care. It was our concern that we don't hit anybody else. At the very least, we wanted to minimize other casualties, but ideally, we wanted to hit him and only him. Stephen Green, what kind of a country does that, gets revenge on a guy who indiscriminately killed office workers and janitors in our country, and we're so careful not to hurt a single hair on the head of one of his loved ones? The best damn country in the world. Make no mistake Amen, about buddy. it. Um, just such amazing work. I'm sorry it took so long, but in the end, uh, well done, men and women who got that thing done. That was a guy who deserved to go, and I'm, I'm glad he's dead. Uh, I know we talked a little backstage about the, the special Hellfire missile with the spinning blades that was used to, to kill this guy instead of the traditional boom that, you know, destroys a whole building or the whole floor and kills a lot of extra people. Um, that said, when I first read about this thing, um, and I'm only kind of kidding here, I started thinking about what other kinds of hellfires could could we use for this? Maybe one with a drill bit, you know, that just goes through like that. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm just. What was that movie from the eighties with that? Oh, Phantasm. It was from the seventies. Yes, yes, that. Nice. Yes. So we need a phantasm hellfire. That's that's what I'd like to see. Just got to send these guys to hell with style. I love that. Kidding aside, though, um, I want to talk more about the uh, the men and women that that actually do these things because it seems so clinical. You're uh, you're a guy or a gal in a in kind of a booth in the Nevada desert controlling a drone from half a world away, and you see the target, you get the permission, you press the button, and uh, you know a minute later the, the the guy's toast, and it's it's all very clinical. Except that uh, I found out it really isn't. A friend of mine is. Um, is a general in the Air Force. I think he's a two-star now. And before that, he was a real warfighter. He flew F-16s. Uh, I don't remember how many deployments he did. And they then he ended up commanding uh, a drone squadron uh, out in uh, out in Nevada. And he was finding out that uh, that his flyers, his pilots, I'm, I'm not sure what, what you call a drone pilot, were actually suffering uh, from from their work. And he starts looking into this because he really cares about his men and women. And what he found out was the thinking was that, oh, it's so clinical. It's it's a no stress job. What he found out was that uh, 
if you're part of a fighter squadron, you know, based at Bagram or wherever in, in Afghanistan, you kill somebody, somebody that needed killing. Uh, you go out with other pilots that night, get drunk, blow off some steam, and that relieves a lot of the stress. These guys and gals out in Nevada were doing the same work. Yes, they were in perfect safety, but for the most part, so were those pilots out in the desert. There weren't a whole lot of getting shot at in your F-16 or whatever in, in Afghanistan. But instead of getting drunk and blowing off steam after work with uh, with their buddies, they were going home and having to pretend like nothing had happened at work that day. Because how do you tell your 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 wife, or your husband and your kids? Oh, yeah, I blew up a bad guy. Um, and they, they weren't getting that steam blown off. And so this particular general, I think he was a uh, colonel at the time, uh, put programs in place to take care of these men and women. So let's not forget them. You know, Bill Whittle, it not only did this um, approach likely cause uh, a tremendous delay in being able to try to take out uh, Zawahiri, um, but it, it could likely have meant the risk or even loss of U.S. lives when you consider over the years um, what that al-Qaeda network has been able to do, even since 9-11, at least not on U.S. soil, but elsewhere. Um, it, it is distinctively strange, I think, that we take this approach to warfare. Most people, when they think in terms of revenge, they go back to misinterpreting the Old Testament and saying, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, what my enemy did to us, we will do to our enemy. We want to see his people suffer. And, you know, that we want to hear the lamentation of the women and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but that is not how we conduct ourselves. Um, how do you explain this kind of warrior doctrine for a nation that's often accused of being a overly aggressive kind of cowboy mentality? To answer that very last question first, at the end of World War II, uh, the world was in ruins. The Soviets had large land forces in, in uh, Europe, but we had atomic bombs and we had an air force that could deliver them. We had the ability to put the American flag in the capital of every single country in the world and we didn't do it. After we went to the Gulf War to, to liberate Kuwait, this talk about war for oil, well, the United States Army was sitting on the Kuwaiti oil fields. They were sitting on them, we had tanks on them, we had boots on them, we put out the fires and then we came home again. Um, in the Gulf War was the first time we that I'm aware of that I saw one of these, let's just call it reduced lethality uh, weapons, where they basically took a, I think it was a GBU guided bomb, took out the explosive warhead, filled it with cement because they wanted to hit one room in one building and want to take the whole building down. The moral authority uh, that we have for killing this mass murderer was that, was not that he, it was not that he had attacked military personnel. If he'd attacked U.S. soldiers, with a declaration, if he'd been in uniform, then this would just simply be war. But he didn't. He attacked innocent civilians. And so when we go, when we go to get uh, to get him back for this, we want to do everything we can so that we don't kill innocent civilians. That's the whole reason why they're terrorists. They kill innocent civilians, and we've gone to a great deal of trouble to make sure that we don't do that. Among the many high honors I've had in the course of this career of mine. Uh, one of them was I got a chance to um, to spend a half an hour in um, in the main control center at CENTCOM, which is actually in Florida. And uh, 
they had to sterilize the room, you know, make sure there was nothing sensitive on the screens. Probably had to wipe it down with disinfectant when I was out of there too. But nevertheless, what I found was uh, was a large number of extremely regular, normal people. There was a woman who brought a chicken salad thing in a Tupperware container. And they sit up there and they look at these screens and they watch the bad guys scroll by. Um, one of the things that Steve mentioned about the about the drone operators is that when you are a if you are a combat pilot dropping um, uh, dropping a strike on a target, you don't get to see the target. You don't certainly don't get to see the people before you get there. And you don't get to see them afterwards. Drone operator gets to watch them walk around and then see the boom and then see what happens afterwards. Fighter pilots never see that stuff. Uh, but the thing that struck me most about my time in CENTCOM was actually this. We've all seen the, uh, the the footage from the smart weapons and so on, dating back to the Gulf War in 91. That imagery is extraordinarily obsolete. Nowadays, we have high definition, full color, extremely sharp pictures of what's going on on the ground. And what they told me at CENTCOM was time and time again, they would see the bad guys raping women, murdering civilians, murdering people in cold blood, they did not have a predator up there with any missiles left on the rail, so they had to watch this happen. Just had to watch. The 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 amount of checks and, and restraint that they had to go through in order to actually get a missile off the rail was astonishing. They had to they had entire teams that was dedicated to finding the person, another entire team that was dedicated to proving that the person who we thought we had was in fact that guy. And then everything had to go to a to a general who was in an office and they had to make the case. Not, 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 not say here's why we should, here's why we think we should do this guy. And, and, and then it was approved. And, and so, yes, it's, 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 it's something to be enormously proud of. It's something to be proud of technologically that we're able to produce a, a weapon that doesn't explode. It just, just, uh, you know, <laughs> it slices and dices and, dices and creates <laughs> Julian fries. Um, and, and, and that's, that's also appropriate. I'm with Steve on on one thing though. Um, I, I recall when when Bin Laden was uh, was was killed. And by the way, we knew he was in that compound. We were sure, but we didn't flatten the compound. We didn't bomb the compound. We could have lost guys in there. They went into a heavily armed compound. We didn't lose anybody because they're the best in the world. But we could have. We could have simply just bombed the compound. But we didn't do it. And we didn't do it for the same reason. When when the strike got bin Laden. I thought there was a particular poetry in the fact that because of the malfunction with one of the helicopters, one helicopter was going to land on the roof and come down. The other one was going to land in the in the yard and work their way up. But the one on the roof, there was a mechanical problem with that stealth helicopter. So the guys had to come in from the ground. And that meant it took longer to get to the top floor, which is where bin Laden was. Did the math on this. And it turns out that the amount of time it took for them from the time the helicopters landed and the first shots were fired to the time they actually killed bin Laden. I want to say it was about 45 minutes, I think, if I remember correctly. Wow. It's almost exactly the same amount of time that people in one of those towers had from the moment the plane hit till the tower went down. That's how much time they had to think about uh, the fact that they were they were probably going to die up there. So I'm real glad that, that bin Laden got to share that experience. Uh, as far as this number two guy who was the, the, the operational brains of the organization, uh, I hope he was able to hear the click of those uh, of those blades coming out. I hope he knew what was coming for him. I remember when they got the guy in charge of Al-Qaeda in Iraq, I want to say 2005, Al-Zawahiri. Uh, 
he was killed by a couple of, I think, two 500-pound bombs put on him, and he was still alive when U.S. medics got there. That made me happy. I wanted him to know. I want them to know. It may sound cruel to you, but I want them to know. And since I want them to know, I have an idea for a modification on one of these hellfires you mentioned a minute ago, Steve. Have either of you guys ever heard the uh, the sound of an Aztec death whistle? No. Well, I recommend that when this is over, and for those of you watching at home who have a strong constitution, go to YouTube and look for the Aztec death whistle. It's a little piece of ceramic. They originally thought that they were pottery things. They were some kind of ceremonial things, but they're not. When you blow into this thing as hard as you can, this thing makes a sound that is exactly like a human being screaming in terror. It will yeah. send a corkscrew up your spine. It is exactly the sound of somebody screaming at the top of their lungs. And I would just like to have several of those mounted on the side of the Hellfire. Just tape them on. You use duct tape. It'd be just fine. I want that death. I want that Aztec death whistle scream on the way down. So I want these people to know. I want them to know what the people in those towers knew. I want them to know that death is coming for them because of what they did. And if it took 21 years, then I'm just glad it didn't take 22. And, and this is how you deter these kind of things from happening in the future. Just to close this, when the towers fell uh, in the months after uh, 9-11, recruitment for Al-Qaeda went through the ceiling. There were just thousands, tens of thousands of people joined up. Oh, push over the great Satan. That'll be great. And then as the war went on, we intercepted a, a, a transmission. I think it was from Iran. It might've been from Afghanistan that basically said from the field, going back to Al Qaeda headquarters, we are fighting demons. We shoot at them and they run towards us. They kill us wherever we find them. We don't want to go anywhere near these people referring to us troops. Right? So, that's how it works. You don't have to like it, but that's how it works. And uh, and justice delayed is better than justice denied. And um, and that is a message that will have an effect. You know, there are people who do bad things in this world, and there always will be. And there are other people who try to protect everybody else from being victims of those people who do bad things. And They'll always be there too, but they always they won't always be able to protect us. And a lot of times they'll be coming in after, um, as our military and our intelligence community did in the wake of the 9-11 attacks. Um, this could be just another story of a drone strike uh, on a terrorist leader. And, you know, we know he's going to be replaced with somebody else who will be in charge of the organization. So what is the real impact of this? But I think the real impact of this is really in what it says about these United States of America and how we conduct ourselves, the character of our people, the care with which we uh, take executing justice in a situation where we can't do it the way we'd prefer to, and that is in the courtroom. Um, I think it says something that we would develop a missile specifically designed so that when two of them have struck their intended target, 
you can cover the balcony with a tarp like it's some kind of HGTV rehab makeover show. It, the, the building wasn't destroyed. They have pictures on CNN's website now of, of like a tarp dangling from above the top. That neighborhood contains uh, a lot of other homes in relatively close proximity. Um, it's not too far from the UK embassy. It's not too far, I think, right across the street from a high school. All of this in right in and around this. And we delayed and decided to take this approach in ways that I'm sure risked other U.S. lives because we would rather conduct ourselves on the world stage in a way that inspires admiration and emulation than just be seeking revenge. That's who we are. That's who we've always been. And our enemies are our enemies until they're not. And and they're not after one of these, you know, Zawahiri smoothie machines comes in and wipes them out, or they're not when they stop being antagonistic toward us, like the Japanese did, like the Germans did, like other conquered peoples did. And then they find out that you've never had a friend like us, and you cannot imagine what it's like to be on our side and be a U.S. friend. It reminds me from uh, at the end of World War II, my grandfather had the responsibility of keeping an eye on a German prisoner of war. And they had work to do. They had jobs. They gave these POWs things to do. So they weren't just sitting around in, in prisons. And my grandfather would drive places with this POW that he was keeping an eye on. And often while driving the Jeep, the German guy would be holding Pop's rifle for him. <laughs> and they'd pull up to the gate when they're leaving the base or wherever they were. And the guy in the gatehouse would be looking at him like, hey, is there a problem here? And my, my grandfather, who was a staff sergeant at the time, said, no problem, sir. We're ready. To, we're just heading out. And when that was all over and Pop was coming home, uh, that German soldier uh, took a piece of a shell casing and engraved it with a, a, a commemorative sentence about their friendship. Because a few months before, my grandfather had been trying to kill every German that he could find. But once it's over, he treated that guy as if he was a brother. And that's how we'll be to the people of Afghanistan when they have an opportunity to express who they really are and shed this Taliban government. That's who we'll be to the people of all these countries from whence Al-Qaeda has been able to recruit um, their soldiers. You will find, as I said a long time ago, um, that if Iraq continues to follow a path toward increasing freedom, liberty, and uh, a Republican form of government and democracy, there will be amusement parks funded by U.S. companies in Iraq that will be beautiful places to go and people will find that Americans will flock there as tourists and spend their money there and befriend them and want to take pictures with them. Um, this is who we are. Um, congratulations uh, to our military forces, to our intelligence forces, um, to the President of the United States for making the ultimate call, which he had to make uh, to do this. And uh, let's hope this sends a clear signal, not just one that set, makes terrorists afraid, but one that makes the rest of the people in those countries realize who we really are. For Bill Whittle and Stephen Green, I'm Scott Odd. Thanks to the members at BillWhittle.com for making Right Angle possible. 